0: Welcome to the MERICS podcast. I am Claudia Wessling, Director Communications and Publications at the Mercator Institute for China Studies. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, John Lee, a senior researcher at the Institute who coordinates research on China's use of digital technologies. Also with us today is Jan-Peter Kleinhans, head of the technology and geopolitics topic area at Stiftung Neue Verantwortung, shorthand SNV, a German think tank working on issues at the intersection of technology Society. We are going to talk about China's semiconductor industry and its role on a global scale. John and Jan-Peter, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks, Claudia.
0: Semiconductor components and chips are the foundation for many of the electronics that we use daily. You will find them in computers, cars, household appliances, phones and many other devices. The semiconductor value chain is characterized by a high degree of transnational interdependence. And China is one of the big players in this industry. The U.S.-China technology rivalry, the COVID-19 pandemic, and global shortages in semiconductors have led many governments to scrutinize these interdependencies. As part of a joint Merix and SNV project, John and Jan Peter have published a study that looks at China's semiconductor ecosystem in a global context this summer, and they are currently working on a follow-up report that will provide policy recommendations for European actors. Um, Your joint project, John and Jan-Peter, is the first collaboration of a German-China think tank with a think tank dedicated to political implications of ITC development. Jan-Peter, let me ask you, what inspired you to embark on this project, which was looking at the length and depth of the study quite challenging? Indeed, um,
1: our first study was quite the piece in terms of length. The idea behind the project was a little bit like you already mentioned, the the realization that, first of all, semiconductors are really a foundational technology. And if you think about artificial intelligence, autonomous um, cars, quantum computing, cloud, basically all the hip topics currently um, at the center of policymakers' minds, you talk essentially about semiconductors. And our own experience and expertise in analyzing technology ecosystems we wanted to match with expertise about china's political economy and simply a deep understanding of chinese industrial policy foreign policy trade and basically every every dimension that impacts a tech ecosystem and merging these two fields of expertise together i think really brought to light the fact that in the future. This type of analysis needs to be intensified and and expanded to get a better understanding how different policies within China, but also within Europe and transnationally, play out in a particular technology ecosystem, in that case, semiconductors.
0: John, where do you see China currently standing in the global semiconductor value chain? What are weaknesses and strengths of the industry in China?
2: Well, it's much easier to talk about weaknesses than strengths with China's semiconductor industry so far, Claudia. But I think the important thing to remember is that this is seen by the Chinese leadership as a long-term strategic priority. And certainly, um, the Chinese have been making significant efforts now for almost two decades to plug the gaps in their domestic industry. However, at this point, you would have to say that, with a couple of exceptions, notably the assembly, test, and packaging section of the value chain at the very end, and to some extent in chip design, including in terms of using um, innovative open source architectures like RISC V, Chinese firms are still well behind the global competition. And in many cases, the barriers to entry um, and the market lead held by the industry incumbents, Taiwanese, American, Japanese, Korean firms typically, or European in a few cases, is so large that it is difficult to see the Chinese catching up within the timeframe of our report, which looked forward um, five to 10 years. That said, in most areas, um, the Chinese are making progress to the point where they will close the gap over this time frame. And even if their products are not competitive on the global market, they will be good enough to plug and basically import substitute for key vulnerabilities within the context of China's domestic market.
0: How does the Chinese government want to help the industry overcome challenges in the parts you just mentioned, the upper end of the production process, um, are there certain measures in place or what, could you describe what the, uh, what the measures were that the Chinese government would apply here? So the Chinese
2: government's approach has evolved over time. Most recently, we characterize it in the report as a semi-hands-off fast follower approach, where the state, instead of picking champions directly and having its hands directly on the steering wheel, so to speak, um, is taking a more indirect approach through, for example, state-governed investment funds, which seek to promote development of promising Chinese firms at various points along the value chain. And also the guidance provided by state-led initiatives such as the so-called O2 Special Project, which has recently concluded after a decade and a half, have sought to pair Chinese actors or group different um, institutional actors, companies, research institutions, and so on to target development of particular gaps in Chinese industry, such as certain types of manufacturing equipment, materials used in the production process, and so on. Um, we describe it as a fast follower approach because this has been based on the recognition that it is extremely difficult for Chinese firms to simply leapfrog and close the gap with foreign industry leaders, including the Taiwanese, um, at the technological frontier. But of course, this is now coming under pressure from the export control measures that have been introduced by the United States over the past few years. Um, and going forward, um, definitely the Biden administration has indicated that it sees technological competition with China as a priority, semiconductors in particular, and will be seeking greater cooperation from foreign partners, such as in Europe, um, via the Chinese technological progress. So whether this fast-follower strategy is still viable or whether, as there are some indications, the Chinese leadership is going to push for moonshot or leapfrog approaches to basically close the gap and overcome China's weaknesses in this industry remains to be seen.
0: Very ambitious project on the side of the Chinese government. Jan-Peter, if if we look at the global scale, maybe, and, and China's degree of being interwoven with this global semiconductor industry, how do you see the situation? I mean, there is a lot of products coming out of China that European markets depend on. And we see it nowadays that some components are not available because of their problems in the delivery chain. Is that a dangerous situation for us over here in Europe?
1: I think, um, like uh, John mentioned before, it's it's important to understand that currently China heavily depends on importing foreign-made semiconductors. It's definitely not the case that when it comes to semiconductors that the, the world relies on China, so to speak. But China itself heavily depends on U.S.-American uh, equipment and, uh, and software on, on European chemicals, on Japanese chemicals. But like John said, this might change in the future, and with it come certain risks, uh, depending on which side of the geopolitical spectrum uh, you stand. So what we see is, especially looking at the U.S., that China's technological advancements are perceived as a direct threat to U.S. Uh, national security and economic security. Regarding the economic security, I think a fair point can be made that China has heavily subsidized in the past and and in the future, its semiconductor ecosystem, that there are a variety of of anti-competitive measures and certain types of the semiconductor market are prone to, to subsidies. So, for example, the heavily consolidated memory chip market with new Chinese actors such as YMTC or CXMT might develop in the future to kind of on a, on a downward trend that through price dumping in the, in the memory chip section, China might successfully enter the market and basically outcompete on the price level, its competitors, not least thanks to heavy subsidies. But there we, we talk about kind of traditional economic disruptions. On the national security level, a point has been made for several different Chinese companies that there is a clear link between their research and their products with the Chinese army and uh, military applicability of semiconductor R&D or semiconductor products, which is why we also mentioned this dimension in in, in our report, where you can make a valid argument uh, to say for certain production steps, In the semiconductor ecosystem, if you want to compromise a chip or if you are worried about the famous kill switch or backdoor within a chip as a nation state, then you might not want to rely in these production steps on Chinese manufacturers. So right now, because of China's dependence on the global semiconductor ecosystem, I think The risks are relatively limited, but like John said, projecting 10 plus years ahead, China for sure will have a stronger position in the global value chain and dependencies will certainly switch so that in the future, for example, European players will certainly depend on Chinese designed and Chinese manufactured um, semiconductors. And this definitely changes the national security calculus, um, even for, for European member states.
0: John, would you share that view that China's semiconductor industry in five to 10 years will look completely different and be more influential than nowadays?
2: I think completely different might be overstating it. Again, if we go to the macro settings, the Chinese leadership understands it would seem that China cannot have a self-contained semiconductor industry. So their planning is based around remaining part of the global value chain. And as Xi Jinping himself has put it, pulling tight this value chain to China so that foreign firms are heavily invested in continued access to the Chinese market in partnerships with Chinese firms, both um, in commercial and R&D terms. And in this way, they hope to continue to leverage the global value chain to both meet immediate needs and to continue developing Chinese industry in the sectors where it is behind. What um, JP was referring to is, for example, if firms like Alibaba and Huawei become global industry leaders, which is certainly a possibility in developing certain types of chip designs. I mentioned RISC-V before, for example, an open source architecture, non-proprietary, outside the reach of U.S. export controls, where... Alibaba already claimed to have designed the world's most powerful processor based on this architecture several years ago. In that situation, Europe, um, which currently does not have leading chip design firms, may of course become dependent for certain applications on firms, whether Chinese or American or otherwise, which are the industry leaders. Um, And JP also mentioned the security issues associated with assembly testing packaging, which as I referred to before, is one of the areas in which China is competitive and indeed an estimated uh, perhaps 60% of the world's assembly, tests, and packaging capacity is located in China, or at least controlled by Chinese or Taiwanese firms, um, with the latter locating many of these operations in mainland China. This is also interesting because packaging is one of the frontiers on which um, firms are continuing to push forward the technological frontier in order to continue squeezing more performance out of computer processes. And when you read about the end of Moore's law and the physical limitations of continually shrinking transistor size and the things that may be needed to get around this in order to continue raising computing power... Advanced packaging techniques are one of the prominent pathways towards this. So having the packaging industry continue to concentrate and develop in China um, will have potentially significant implications for the advancing technological frontier of the industry as a whole. And this is another reason why European stakeholders need to look at this and why, for example, um, Intel is being courted so assiduously by European stakeholders as a leading American semiconductor firm, which is also pushing the boundaries in the packaging space.
0: So it sounds like there's a lot of risk coming with uh, working together with China as European companies in the in this realm. Um, Jan Peter, in your report, you argue that Europe risks not only falling behind still further, but also increasingly relying on Chinese technology providers. I mean, John just described the situation in this packaging techniques area. Uh, what are, to your mind, Jan Peter, specific challenges and risks? European actors are facing?
1: I think there are um, several different risks in different dimensions. So John already mentioned the national security impact of packaging and at the same time, the future technological competition for advanced packaging and heterogeneous integration. Europe currently has essentially no packaging capacity. So already in that regard, it's highly dependent on foreign, mainly Chinese and Taiwanese packaging suppliers This is definitely a a national security risk, but I think on a broader scale, China already has substantial chip design capabilities. Plus, like John mentioned, it has, in contrast to Europe, world-leading hyperscalers such as Alibaba, Tencent, and and others, plus significant consumer electronic companies such as Xiaomi, Oppo, Vivo, and, and several others. And all these companies over the past couple of years Um, started to develop their own chips. Why is that a challenge for Europe? One good good example, in my opinion, is artificial intelligence. If Europe wants to develop human-centric AI systems and a a human-centric AI ecosystem, it's not enough anymore to rely on foreign-made hardware and just focus on the software part. But specifically for machine learning, hardware-software co-design is essential. This is why... Several companies, or not just several, but um, hundreds of smaller startups started to develop machine learning specific chips. If Europe wants to have its third way in AI, it also needs to start to develop AI accelerators. But apart from a few startups in, in Europe, there are simply very little activity on the chip design level within the European semiconductor ecosystem. So in the future for machine learning systems, it is very likely that we will not just depend on US-American companies, such as the market leader NVIDIA and others, but increasingly also on Chinese companies. And with machine learning, it's pretty obvious that there are huge questions about human rights and about a human-centric approach that might be perceived differently from, from Chinese companies. So I think especially the AI ecosystem is a good example where Europe risks very substantial challenges if it does not compete already on the, on the level of uh, European design chips.
0: Jan-Peter, how would you assess the chances of Europe being able to compete in this area at all? I mean, we all know that the major producers are in, in the United States or in China. You just described it also yourself. Isn't it naive to think that Europe could actually catch up? and uh, become a, a major power in this area?
1: I think it's uh, definitely a challenge to become a major power, but from, for example, in in, in terms of chip design companies, Fabless uh, companies, if you have currently around 1% global market share, there's only one way and this way is up, right? We, we are already in, in several areas. We are already at the bottom of the food chain. And from there, the the only way is up for Europe. And if currently we talk about a European Chips Act that wants to match the U.S. Chips Act, uh, which itself talks about subsidies in the order of 52 billion U.S. dollars, uh, we have semiconductors at front and center in the EU-U.S. Trade and Technology Council. Semiconductors are really at the center of policymakers' minds in Europe. So I think that the timing is right to... Meaningfully and substantially invest in Europe's ecosystem. And I I do believe that Europe will be able to catch up in certain areas. I just don't think that the current policy debate that heavily focuses on the question of advanced manufacturing in Europe is the right focus. Um, But instead, we should talk more substantially about how to invest in Europe's chip design ecosystem, in Europe's startup ecosystem in the long term to in the future uh, to have European designed machine learning chips or European designed mobile chipsets, uh, or European designed high-performance processors. We have a little bit of that, but often there we talk about very small startups that only have minuscule market shares, uh, if at all. And in my opinion, there should be the attention. And there we have a good shot at, of course, not becoming market leaders, but having in the future, at least a certain share of the market again.
0: Would certainly be required to act swiftly, I would guess. Um, I mean, let me bring you in, John, again. What would be your take also, well, given that for China, the semiconductor industry also plays a role in security and foreign policy. How should Europe react to these challenges, to your mind?
2: Well, I think that JP has laid out a pretty good prescription there. Um, I think, firstly, realism about what can be accomplished um, is a starting point. So obviously, uh, much press coverage has been given to the goal of bringing um, 20% of um, Europe's fabrication requirements within the EU over the coming decade. I think any analyst will tell you that is an extremely ambitious target. And obviously, a lot of resources and time may be wasted pursuing it, which could be more profitably spent on areas in which European firms do have the capacity to become globally competitive or at least to develop a critical mass of domestic capability, which can then have flow on benefits. As one example, if we talk, and this is another angle which European policymakers should be looking at, about partnerships with leading non-European firms. TSMC, it has been reported is an talks with various European stakeholders to open a fabrication plant somewhere in Europe. There will be a better chance of this happening if there is an ecosystem of suppliers and firms who do other things in the value chain clustered together and to make the value proposition better for a global leader like TSMC to locate production within Europe. And this goes for endpoint market demand as well. So the reason why TSMC is expanding its fabrication capacity in mainland China is primarily. primarily. Primarily to serve the demand of growing Chinese market segments such as electric vehicles. And of course, um, if we talk EVs, then Europe um, does have quite bright prospects in terms of a growing market here. So, leveraging such advantages in order to attract global industry leaders um, to engage in productive partnerships um, that can pull up European firms elsewhere along the value chain should be a priority. And this is indeed the Chinese approach. There, of course, China has an advantage in terms of the range and the depth of manufacturing activity and of other industries um, which are located there. But um, their strategy is quite explicitly to use different segments of the value chain to catalyze each other, to drag up the laggards, if you like, and to use market demand to catalyze the development of the semiconductor value chain itself. So playing the game smart, and also um, in a context of partnership with the United States and other like-minded partners is going to be required for Europe to have a good chance of improving its overall position perhaps it's worth noting in closing there that as we've alluded to a few times the political demands from the United States in particular when it comes to coordination via V China are going to become more severe rather than less and in the outcome from the first TTC meeting which JP referred to recently, The first meeting of the EU-US Trade and Technology Council, one of the points made by the European side regarding semiconductors was the need for this to be a question of equal burden sharing. If we talk about the security and resilience of the supply chain via the third parties who may be
1: less like-minded.
0: What's your next project? You're working on a new study. What will it bring for us?
1: So, with our first report, we tried to do the, the legwork and um, really identified the competitiveness of China's ecosystem across the production stack from chip design to wafer fabrication to assembly test packaging in the different supplier markets, be that chemicals or materials. And now, of course, we want to follow up to this and kind of bring it all together and, and sum it up develop policy recommendations, how Europe can, like in which areas this poses a a potential threat to Europe and uh, on the policy level, how Europe can and should answer to that to, to strengthen its own ecosystem, but also kind of playing to the discussions on the Trade and Technology Council to think about beyond subsidies, beyond just investing in your own ecosystem what are necessary next steps regarding strategic collaborations, uh, strengthening the resilience of the global value chain, and so on.
0: To our listeners outside, the study that John and Jan-Peter did in summer is available on our websites, both of Merix and Stiftung Neue Verantwortung. You will find the links in the intro that comes with this podcast in your podcast app. And um, for now, I would just like to thank Jan-Peter and John for being here today and trying to explain to us successfully, I hope, the intricacies of the semiconductor industry and China's interwovenness with the global sector here.